The antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck. The Antidote is going for a dive into our show archives over the next couple weeks. I decided to pull out a few exceptional bands and artists who have dropped out of the music scene. What's coming up tonight is an episode with one of my favorites, Mute Math. And I guess I shouldn't say that the band is absolutely gone, since the last remaining band member, Paul Meany, did release a single last year. This 2012 episode features a talk I had with Paul, during the band's heyday. Enjoy. featured artist of the night. Thanks for tuning in The Antidote with Dave Hawkins.
I've always been captivated by the band Mute Math and their unique musical style. I caught up with Mute Math in Toronto this past September. Paul Meany, lead vocalist and keyboardist of Mute Math, spared some time for a talk with The Antidote prior to their sold-out concert at the Phoenix Concert Theatre. You'll be hearing that conversation between songs from Mute Math and their previous incarnation, Earthsuit. Well, I'm hoping that you're going to enjoy Mute Math as much as I and their huge fan base do. Well, let's dive into the interview with Paul Meany and then the song Do You Enjoy the Distortion from Earthsuit. Paul Meany of Mute Math has joined The Antidote to share his thoughts on their music and their latest album, Odd Soul. Paul, thanks for joining The Antidote. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can we do a bit of a history lesson on Mute Math? The previous version of your band was Earthsuit, which had a single studio release back in 2000 with Sparrow Records. What kind of acceptance did Earthsuit find with the release of Kaleidoscope Superior? I think we just came off as weird. So that was it. It was a, it was a short-lived little stint we had. It was a lot of fun, though. Uh, we learned a lot. I always refer to that band as kind of uh, my college experience.
Following Earthsuit, the band was reinvented into Mute Math, and you opted to market your music with Warner Records beginning back in 05. But you disagreed with how Warner wanted to position Mute Math. Um, we just want to work with people that we feel inspired with, people that you feel understand the music, understand where you're going. And uh, we really found that in Warner Brothers. Um, and in the beginning, we had a developmental deal. We just had like five songs, really, and we were just working on it. But there was some excitement brewing. It was going to be a, a, a joint release with the Christian Division Word Records and Warner Brothers. And before we had finished the record, Warner Brothers opted out, which we thought the deal was going to fall apart. But um, it seemed like Word was not opting out. They were going to still just go with it. And so that wasn't really what we had signed up for. We wanted to... We were very inspired by the Warner Brothers side of it, and you know we were trying to push ourselves beyond the parameters of what we had done before with Earthsuit and just creatively go further. So yeah, that was a bit of an obstacle when we hit that. So we just uh, we decided to put the record out ourselves, and we worked it for about six months, and thankfully everything kind of sorted itself out, and we got back on Warner Brothers. They re-signed us. I remember it was uh, we were playing Bonnaroo, and our A&R guy who had... I guess about eight months before, called me and said, yeah, I'm sorry, I'd, we've just got too many on the roster. I'm just not going to be able to do it. We don't feel you have the hit song and all that. I'm like, oh, geez, all right, well, see ya. Sorry. <laughs> and then he saw a performance that we did at Bonnaroo, which I remember we just kind of squeaked in. We played in this little coffee house tent. It wasn't even meant for bands. It was just singer-songwriters. I guess someone pulled a favor, got us on, and uh, it was probably one of the most exhilarating shows this band's ever played. And it was really a great, fun set. We blew the PA system like twice through the show, and it was just a sweaty blur, but the crowd was wonderful. It was a lot of fun, and uh, he happened to be at that show. And afterwards, we had talked, and he was like, let's just work this out. This is stupid, and we did. We were glad. So uh, we had to go the scenic route, but ultimately, um, we're, we're with, I think, a great record company, and it's, and it's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of good vibes trying to get music out. Mute Mass' second album, Armistice, delivered this song, Clipping.
Well, you brought up the topic, so let's carry on with that. It's been said many times that Mute Math has one of the greatest of live shows. I mean, Alternative Press declared Mute Math as the number one band you need to see live before you die. How difficult is it for you both artistically and physically to maintain that kind of status? Well, with each passing year, the physical aspect of it is becoming quite daunting. I'm in my mid-30s now, so um, I guess I didn't quite think that through eight years ago. But it's just so much fun. That's the bottom line. We have a blast when we go on stage. It's exhilarating. We're doing what we love. And um, no matter how we feel before we walk on stage, as soon as we hit that first note and the electricity starts happening and the, the reaction from the crowd surfaces, you just go to another place. And it's very otherworldly and, and we're addicted to it. So I hope we get to do this for a while. In the same vein, how tough is it for Mute Math to translate your recorded music into a live performance? Because sometimes what works in the studio is maybe not so workable on stage. Yeah, I think that's just part of the challenge. We have certainly recorded many songs that we just hit a wall with when we tried to get on stage with it. And there's, there's a few songs that just, just didn't work, so we, we let it go. But other than that, if we're having problems with it, yeah, we just try a few new twists and turns and kind of recreate it for that environment. And the songs usually evolve. That's what usually happens uh, in the course of playing them over years. That you just find new ways of getting in and out of them and working different parts of them. And I feel pretty fortunate I'm in a band with some very capable uh, musicians. Just kind of giving them the green light it makes for a nice roller coaster ride. I've always wondered about the older concert performances by Mute Math. No mercury poisoning from all the fluorescent tubes that you guys smashed on stage? We don't know if the, the, there was any long-term effects. I guess if that's going to be happening, we'll know in a couple years. Yeah, we started putting these sheaths over the over the tubes when we were breaking them so the dust wouldn't go everywhere. The yeah, first couple shows, it was really bad, and people were having uh, teary eyes and coughing and things like that, and we realized, oh, wait, this is poisonous. So then um, our lighting guy came up with a great idea. Let's just sheath them so they'll break and nice. So that, that worked. But we don't do that anymore. That wound up being... Um, just way too much upkeep, replacing bulbs every show. Check out Chaos from Mute Map. What I've 
everything around's breaking down the chaos I always see you when my sight is lost Everything around's breaking down the chaos I know you stay true when my world is lost Everything around's breaking down the chaos I always see you when my sight is lost Hey, this is Paul from Mute Math, and you're listening to The Antidote. Spotlight from Mute Math's Armistice CD.
in addition to a great live show, Mute Math has put out some pretty amazing videos, including the Grammy-nominated video of Typical. But some guy named Johnny Cash received the award. That year was actually an amazing ensemble of nominees. We were so honored to be a part of that, which was, I think it was the Feist video that year. It was a great Justice video that year. But I think it was also the year before where Johnny Cash died, so there was a, there was a lot of tribute going to him. So it definitely felt like the way it was supposed to play out, but we, at least we got a trip to the Grammys out of it. It was nice.
understand the development of the Armistice album was a bit of a trial for Mute Math. Why was that? The trial of Armistice? Um, you got the, the whole pressure of doing a second record, which it is a head trip that is difficult to navigate. You know, you hear all the cliche stories about it, the sophomore slump, right? You know, we tried to go in with our head straight, but the thing is, and the thing that freaks you out, is it's the first time you're creating music in the light of previous work. And that does something. There's this point of reference, and you've been out on the road, and you feel like you've learned things about your band, and what works, what doesn't work, what you want to improve on. And then when you have four guys that kind of may have different opinions on that and trying to converge and make this second record, it, it just got uh, really difficult for us. We had a what we refer to as a very sad terminal democracy in our decision-making process. And just trying to finish a song um, just became very unenjoyable and impossible. We had two producers in the end just trying to help us get through it. You know, I look back, it's, it's quite embarrassing on the fact that we just couldn't, between friends and the history that we had, we just couldn't sort it out. We couldn't just get over ourselves and just see the greater good of making music. But we had to go through that. And I think um, as trying as it was, I still think we made a really good record. Um, I love Armistice. Very personal. It was digging deep on that one. Uh, and I think a lot of the things we went through unearthed some things about myself that I think was very important to put in song form. So I look back at it very fondly. I wish we had handled a few things differently, but I can't complain because a lot of the lessons that we learned, a lot of the things that we kind of evolved through in that record led to Odd Soul. And it was a very important record for me, um, and I don't think we could have made Odd Soul, especially the way we made it, which is three guys, no producer, very self-made had we not gone through Armistice. What are the pros and cons with doing that? Is that not a difficult task to put on yourself as a band? Because, I mean, you're doing everything. Absolutely. It is difficult. We felt like we had no choice. We wanted to do that at that point because we wanted to do something so opposite of the process of Armistice. We needed to reinvent the process for ourselves and just kind of locking ourselves away from management, from the label, from even our audience, from anyone to hear what we were working on. No video blogs. We need to just rediscover what we love about what we're doing. I think the isolation was very important and yes the the task that go with that and doing all the running the cables and you know trying to chase why is there buzzes in the lines that is no fun yeah we had to we had to do that but you know what it all reminded us of which this record thematically was really about was some of our first memories of making music when it was just you know the sky is the limit you know nothing to lose and you are just figuring out how to use this four track or you just you don't really know what you're doing but you're just so exhilarated by the fact that you're making music and so kind of locking ourselves into that mindset very healing for us uh, we made a record that we adore
each of Mute Mouth's albums have carried some musical background from the previous album, but you also introduced some new elements. What type of sound were you trying to achieve for Odd Soul? Well, we were listening to a lot of The Meters, which is one of our favorite bands out of New Orleans' old R&B group. They kind of, in our minds, invented groove to us. It's a huge influence. And listening a lot to old Zeppelin records and Black Sabbath. So that, I guess that era of music from rock to R&B from the 70s, we were certainly listening a lot. We were very moved and inspired by that. And it also reminded us of the very first memories we had playing music, jamming with dad in the garage, and he's teaching you a, a Steve Miller tune or a Jimi Hendrix tune, a Beatles tune, what, whatever his record collection was. And all those images just coming together and just putting our own spin on it and um, allowing ourselves to go there was just, it was just really fun. So I, I think that's what we're going for. And, and uh, as we're digging deep and kind of discovering the people and artists and musicians we'd become, I think Odd Soul was inevitable. You're finding other people considering themselves Odd Soul, really taking that to heart? Uh, sure. I, I, feel, I feel like we have a room full of them every night. Whenever we play a show, I always look out in the audience, and, and it always baffles me. It's, it's such an array of people, age groups, demographics, whatever. I, we, we consider it an honor. Um, and, and the thing that unifies us all and get in the same room is, um, is these songs, uh, on whatever level we can relate to them. Yeah, we have a great time with our fellow Odd Soulers. Here's Odd Soul. I'm an asshole. Oh, yes, sir. 
the members of Mute Math, a lot of you guys are followers of Christ, and your lyrics share honestly about your faith. Can you provide some insight into both the songs Odd Soul and Blood Pressure? Yeah, you know, Darren and myself specifically raised in, in very strict Christian Bible Belt homes. Grew up in church, youth group culture, all of that. And um, I think as coming of age and you, you, you start to put life experiences on that context, it's something to um, reflect on. And that's where we were in this record and, and trying to make sense of things and, and look at kind of who we've become versus kind of where things started. And we wanted to have a celebrating type of, I wanted to celebrate that journey because it really has been a, a very exhilarating one, a hilarious one. And uh, we, we have a lot of good stories and we feel like we share a connection that a lot of people who did not experience that will never understand. There's just something about that particular culture we felt was worth getting in some songs. Do you find that's true for most of your music, that it is derivative of your life experiences? Always, yeah. You know, each record is certainly... Um, a very honest snapshot of what was going on at that time and, and around that and possibly right before it and all that. What you're observing, what you're experiencing, and, and you're just trying to find a, a fresh way to articulate it in that moment. And that's what Odd Soul was for us. We were just craving a very high-spirited record that dug deep into our roots and just kind of um, threw it out there as loudly as possible. Blood Pressure from the album Odd Soul.
in 40 years, you'll be retired from the music scene and you're going to have great grandkids on your lap since you mentioned about having a new little one in your household. How will you want the public to remember Mute Math? Uh, I'm going to put it in a very unpoetic way. I hope that we can be a band that, that you think of as, as the moment you begin to breathe out of both nostrils. <laughs> that can be as lofty and as unpoetic as that may be. People, hopefully, that hear the music or come to the shows, really, we're, we're just trying to create an environment and an atmosphere that is just exhilarating. And, and you just feel like you begin to get inspired and see things maybe you haven't seen before and smell things you haven't smelled before. It's like, and, you know, my favorite shows, my favorite bands have done that for me. If we, if we can provide that for anyone, then it's well worth it. And I hope uh, us and the great grandkids can have a nice high five in the end. But I'm sure they'll be embarrassed. I mean, that's just the way it works, right? It's like, Dad, Granddaddy, can't believe you sang that. It's the only reason for having kids is so you can embarrass them at their weddings. When I had my little girl, the first time I held her in my arms and I was tearing up, and I swear, she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she rolled her eyes and just went, that's what, I swear she did that. And you could just tell she was just thinking, what a dork.
wrote a song pre mute math days wrote a song called gummy bear <laughs> but now you have your own gummy you have steve steve government in the band so did that make that song title prophetic First of all, what's amazing is that is the song before Mute Math I get asked the most about, which is so weird. It was just the B-side to um, to one of the Earth Zoo projects. Yes, and it was called Gummy Buffalo, and it might have been. And no one's made that connection before, and that's really going to have me pondering the rest of the day now. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at those lyrics. Well, I'm Dave Hawkins, and my thanks go to Paul Meany of Mute Math for sharing your time with the antidote. Paul, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks. Let's head back to our featured artist and a portion of the song Gummy Buffalo. So where imagination exists A little black, a little white, a little grey, a little twist Everything's bliss, so my nature resists I'm breaking down, I'm breaking through, I'm breaking off, I'm breaking this The explanation is I dress the canvas The world is much nicer when the world's anonymous It's all paper clouds, rain and blue snow On a gummy buffalo, buffalo It's a state of mind, somewhere to fall, a place to live, a place to run, a place to walk, a place to crawl. And yet I seem to be getting nowhere at all. Give it up, give it in, give it a try, give it a call. I walk the corridors and walk the shores, walk the floors. I take the doors that lead me to the roars. It's all the sounds that are coming from the show of the gummy buffalo, buffalo. So that's how things came together on the 2012 edition of The Antidote. There was a funny thing about this talk with Mute Mass Paul Meany, and that's that it almost didn't happen. You know, I was about to begin my drive to Toronto for the interview, and I got a last-minute email saying that the band wasn't available for our talk. Like what? Fortunately, I know somebody who has the email address of everybody in the music industry. So I pled my case with the president of Warner. And ten minutes later, the band said they'd be delighted to have a talk with me. So that made me happy. And Paul Meany seemed to enjoy it, too. During their later years, key band members began to leave. Roy Mitchell Cardenas left in 2017. And just a few months later, Darren King, without doubt one of the greatest drummers of all time, bowed out of the band. Pretty sad, because Meatmath had a lot of talent. I really do love two-piece bands. Guys like Death From Above 1979, 68, Death Therapy. Well, next week, I'll bring in a truly great two-piece, one that you may have never heard of. 
tune in as I resurrect the antidote episode with Salt of the Chief Cornerstone. Well, let's close this up for tonight with the song Goodbye from Mute Math. See you next time. One last time to another